Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. How you doing, Timberlake Church? Good. My name is Brian. Uh, I'm the lead campus pastor, but I'm primarily stationed at our Issaquah campus on the weekend. And so before we get into the message, I'd actually like us to welcome our campuses. So for those of you watching in Issaquah, my favorite campus, Duval, Botha Woodenville, Castle Rock, and online, which means you're in your pajamas. Can we just give them a round of applause? Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Wherever you're watching, we're glad you're here and joining us today. We're kicking off a brand new series called Life Verse. Now, this is going to be a great series because we're picking uh, significant verses from the Bible. Uh, and so you get to hear one of my favorites uh, today talking about breakthrough moments. Now, some of you have, might have heard me speak before. Some of you haven't. And so I always like to do a recap, letting you know what's going on in my life. And so here's the short version. Uh, I've been doing ministry for 17 years Married for 11, I'm partial to the female that you saw in the Roland because she is my wife and uh, the better half for sure. We have three kids, Riker, who's three, Ruby, who's two, and River, who's one. Uh, just let that settle in. Thank God two weeks from now, my oldest turns four. And uh, one day he will be a star uh, Wars fan because he was born on May 4th, and I just can't wait for the moment where I can say, may the 4th be with you. And it's going to be a beautiful moment. But now he's obsessed with garbage, trucks, garbage, anything related since he was one. And so we had this moment of breakthrough a few weeks ago. I come out of my office and I walk out and he's singing a worship song with his favorite band called Young and Free. If you have students, it's a great band. And so he's there and he's got his little hands up and he's singing these words. We worship the garbage man. I love the garbage man. And I thought, God, have mercy on his soul. He knows not what he does. And so I sat down and said, hey, buddy. You know, I felt like it was the right thing to do. Either that or Pastor Ben was going to have to sit down with him and talk about theology. I said, hey, buddy, um, I just want to clarify, Dad loves you. You know, the Oreo sandwich, I'm about to tell him the truth, so I told him something nice up front. Dad loves you, but um, we don't worship the garbage man. And just then, a little tear just trickled down his cheek. I'm just kidding, that didn't happen. That would have been awesome, though. He looks at me like, yeah, Dad, I know. This is what he said. It's about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing a better job than I thought. I said, okay, but, but why are you singing to the garbage man? He's not even here. It's not that time of the week yet. And he's like, why? Well, I, I love Jesus, and I love the garbage man. So I thought, you know what, you got to pick your battles as a parent. As long as Jesus is first, son, I'm okay with you loving Jesus and the garbage man. We'll go with that. We had a breakthrough moment. Okay, this series, my prayer, our prayer as a church, as staff and pastors and leaders, is that you would grab a hold of these verses and they would become pillars of strength in your life. That where you could grow from, that your faith could be challenged with. And, and when times get difficult, you could anchor your life to them 
and they could cause a breakthrough moment. So I don't know how you ended up here today. I don't know what you're currently going through, but I do know this, that God has something specific he wants to say to you. So let's read our life verse together. It's going to be up on the screen. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this is the NIV. I'm going to read it also out of the New Living Translation. It says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. See, it's important for us to understand that not everything in life is good. Now, probably some of you are like, yeah, I know this. I'm going through a difficulty now. But it's important for us to see the specifics of this verse that Paul, who wrote this uh, book called Romans, who actually wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, lived a life both with victory and with great suffering. And the context of Romans 8 is this moment in his life where he's asking God to ease his pain, to ease his suffering, which from my perspective, sounded like a really good prayer to God. Yet God says these moments to him about his grace being sufficient, and then this Romans 8.28, hey, I'm going to work everything in your life for your good. See, there are moments in our life where we don't have the why this is happening. And so life verses are meant to anchor your life in the midst of those moments, so that when all hell's breaking loose, you can go, I know that this feels this way, but my life is anchored to something that does not change. And for us today, it's Romans 8, 28. That no matter how bad it gets, I know that God is true to his word, and he will turn this. He'll cause it to work together for our good. I love this quote, and it's not in your notes, but if you want, you can write it down. Someone told it to me one time, and they say once you say it once, you have to give credit. Once you say it more than once, at least two or three times, you can just say, as I've always said. So, as I've always said, it's not about what happens to you, it's the story you tell yourself. It's not about what happens to you, and that's not meant to make you feel like what you're happening right now is not significant, but it's the story you tell yourself And so for the story that I want us to tell ourselves in this moment as we talk about this life verse, that what you're currently facing is is probably serious. I have things that I'm concerned about that sometimes keep me up at night. But the focal point is this verse, that no matter what we're going through, the story I'm telling myself is that God is going to work it together for our good. So let's dive into Mark 14. This is our main account, our narrative for the, for the moment that we're going to talk about this. Hey, how does God work everything together for our good? So this is also going to be on the screen. Here we go. Starting in chapter 14 of the Gospel of Mark, it says this. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly or with harshness to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. 
She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel was preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Very interesting account in the book of Mark. And what's interesting about the Bible is there's 66 books. And amongst those books from Genesis, that's in the Old Testament, to Revelation, which ends the New Testament, there's 31,102 verses. That's a lot of verses. That's a lot of anchoring that we can use. But I want to dive into this narrative because I think it says a lot about what often we go through, which is being misunderstood. So Mary comes up on the scene, does this extravagant honor to Jesus, and then gets rebuked for it. Have you ever been misunderstood before? Am I the only one? Recently, we were out to dinner with a couple from the Issaquah campus, Dylan and Charlotte, and we were trying out a new restaurant uh, in downtown Bellevue, and it was uh, one of my favorites, and they had relocated, and so I didn't realize that they had only been open for 11 days, which, by the way, if that's the case, you should never go to those restaurants. Wait a couple months. We went, and of course, it's never sunny in Seattle, but that day it was sunny. And so we are facing away from the street, but everyone facing the street literally was wearing their sunglasses as the sun shined against their faces. You know, where they were ducking like this, trying to eat their pot stickers with their chopsticks, and it was a mess. And all of a sudden, this older gentleman calls the manager over, who was very, dressed very nicely, suit and tie, and he says, hey, can you put the blinds down? And the manager looked at him and said, hey, um, I'm really sorry, I know it's sunny out, but we don't have any blinds. And the older gentleman said, what kind of restaurant is this that doesn't have blinds on a, on a sunny day? And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to get interesting. We're about a, a table away. And he goes, I'm sorry, sir. We, we have no intention of installing blinds. It's code. And the way our building is oriented, it's, it's just the way that it is. He goes, well, how do you expect me to enjoy my dinner when it's sunny outside? I'm like, guy, it's Seattle. <laughs> That should be like a celebration enough that it's sunny and stopped raining. God kept his promise he would not flood Seattle again. I mean, that was enough for me. I was happy. But he was not. And so he grabbed the manager by the neck. This is a true story. Grabbed the manager by the neck, brought him down to where his head was. and says, I want you to see what I'm looking at, which is sun. I'm like, again, I don't see what's wrong. It's sunny. And so I, I literally thought this. I'm like, there is going to be a serious fight breakout. So I'm getting out my phone to my wife's chagrin. She was like, do not get your phone out. And so this is what the manager said. I kid you not. He said, sir, we'd be happy to reaccommodate you. And I said, I don't know if he's not seen YouTube recently, but that is the wrong choice of words to tell this gentleman. I said, there's definitely going to be a flight, I mean, a fight breakout in this moment. And, uh, and so I started recording, and nothing happened. And so later on, I grabbed the manager. I said, hey, I'm, I saw what happened. I tripped him on his way out. I didn't do that. He's like, oh, that's funny. I'm like, yeah, thank you. And I said, I'm really sorry that happened to you. And, and he said, thank you. You know, we're a new restaurant, and people just don't understand that. And I thought to myself, you know, no matter how hard you try to tell someone something, there's just moments where people just don't understand. Here's how most people deal with being misunderstood. Number one, we become easily annoyed. We become easily annoyed. Have you ever been there? Don't look at your spouse. 
One of my favorite quotes from Bernard Shaw says this, the problem with communication is the illusion that it's actually happened, right? And so most misunderstandings are, are communicative breakdowns. Oftentimes we see this in relationships, marriage, kids, friends, coworkers, stranger on the street, it does not matter. They're, no one is, is, is out of bounds for miscommunication and annoyance. I recently had this problem myself when my wife asked me to do the dishes. I said, no problem, babe. You cook the dinner, I'll do the dishes. And so I continued to watch TV. ESPN was on. It's the playoffs. And so I just ignored the request, and I thought, I'll get to it. Two days later, my wife says, she stopped calling me babe and said, Brian, I knew I was in trouble. And she said, Brian, I thought you said you would do the dishes. I, I said, I did say I would do the dishes, but I thought it was on my timeline. She's like, you've been married 11 years to me. You know that's not how it works. I said, yeah, I should know better. Annoyed. I annoyed her because of the miscommunication. Here's how else people handle being misunderstood. We internalize our frustration. We internalize our frustration. Has anyone ever done that? We have two types of people. They're not official terms when it comes to psychology, but I'll just give them to you. You either are a stuffer or a sprayer. Okay, you either stuff the frustration or you spray it everywhere, which includes your family, friends, coworkers, water cooler talk. That's who you are. And so I'm talking to the stuffers in the in the room today, that when you get frustrated through misunderstanding, you internalize it and it dives deep, and then at some point it bubbles to the surface, and usually you don't want to be around in that moment. Misunderstandings they can cause us to internalize our frustrations. What else? We isolate ourselves from others. We isolate ourselves from others. Proverbs 15, 22, it's going to be on the screen. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, our natural human tendency is to isolate when we're feeling misunderstood, when we feel judged, when we feel like, hey, I was done wrong, even though I felt like I was in the right. We isolate. The Bible gives us a better way to approach life and saying, hey, there's actually safety, there's wisdom, there's, there's a, a, place, a thing that happens when you get together with people, like church, when you gather in community. For here at Timberlake, we call it growth groups, which are starting in just a week, and yes, that is a plug, you should get in one. Growth groups is a great place, not to be isolated, but to be insulated with people who can stand with you when you're feeling misunderstood, when you're feeling judged or feeling like you were done wrong when, when you thought you did right. And lastly, how do we handle being misunderstood? We focus on defense and damage control. Defense and damage control. Now I call this the I attack back. I don't know if you're this way, but if I get pushed, I like to push back. I'm teaching my children the same thing. That, hey, buddy, if someone pushes you, you go ahead and go for it. I don't know if it's going to work out or I'm going to get a call from the principal one day, but I, I'm okay to deal with the consequences. We've, we play defense and damage control because we're not sure how to actually handle the fact that we've been misunderstood or we've been taken uh, what we've said in a wrong way, in a wrong manner. And so we, we do these things. Yet Jesus and Mary give us some great uh, observations from their interaction in this story that we can actually apply to our life and how they dealt with a massive misunderstanding understanding. So what do we learn from Jesus at the house party? Jesus often used moments of misunderstanding to do incredible ministry. 
He used moments of misunderstanding to do incredible ministry. Talk about a misunderstanding. Mary is there to worship Jesus. Jesus is there to receive the worship because he's about to be crucified a few days later. And so she was prepping his body by anointing it. And then the, the crowd there began to ridicule her, rebuke her harshly. Now here's the interesting thing. If you've lived long enough, you've been misunderstood. But Jesus' life, this was his story. If you actually read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are incredible books in the New Testament. If you follow the life of Jesus, his ministry, his life was marked with constantly being misunderstood. The things he said were misunderstood. The way he interacted with crowds when he was doing ministry, misunderstood. He would perform what we call miracles, where bodies that were diseased and broken were healed and they were misunderstood. He made emphatic statements about his titles of being the son of God and I am God and he was misunderstood. And what's incredible about his story is that he, he just kind of rolled with the punches. Oftentimes he wouldn't respond, he would tell another story, which was then what? Misunderstood. I'm thinking, Jesus, are you trying to confuse people? Like, for real. Yet there was some, some things that he was trying to get across in these moments of incredible ministry when things were completely misunderstood. So let me define ministry. By ministry, what I'm talking about is life change. The reason why we gather as a church here at Timberlake across five locations is so that ministry can happen. We preach and teach for life change. We get in groups for life change. We serve for life change. We want our life to be transformed so it looks more like the life of Jesus. And Jesus understood this. And so when things were misunderstood, he went after it and thought, hey, it's the story I tell myself when things are happening. And he would take those moments and great ministry would come from them. Jesus also embraced the awkward moments. He embraced the awkward moments. Have any of you ever had an awkward moment? Uh, about three or four weeks ago when it was raining nonstop, I just had had enough. The seasonal depression was kicking in. I thought, hey, we have got to get out of town. And so I convinced someone to watch our three children by themselves for three nights and four days. And so my wife and I, we went to Scottsdale, Arizona in the 85 degrees. And as God is my witness, as soon as I got off the plane, I, I feel like the audible voice of God said, this is your new home. Now, it could have been the sign that says, find your dream home in the airport. But either way, I was like, I'm convinced. 85 degrees, I'm wearing shorts, it's not raining. This could be the new spot for our family. I won't tell you about the golf I played or the food I ate or the pool we lounged around for an entire three nights and four days with no children. It was like heaven had literally come down to earth and we were just embracing every moment of it. One of my favorite stops along the way, which is where the awkward moment happened, was a restaurant who I had read the book of the uh, founder of the restaurant called, uh, it was called Setting the Table by Danny Myers, who started a restaurant called Shake Shack. Anybody ever been to Shake Shack before? Now, I had never been, but I'd read his story, and so I was fascinated by it, and I thought, man, this is the first stop. And so I have to confess to you today, I went four times in four days. Do the math. That means I went twice in the same day, and I'm paying for it still, but it was worth it because I thought, I'm going to go back to the rain in Seattle. There is no Shake Shack, and if Danny Myers, you're watching this online, you should put a Shake Shack in Seattle. 
I was convinced this is my only moment. And so we went there. I ordered the Shake Shack burger. I got the custard concrete with, it's like a, a McFlurry on steroids. And I was just eating it. And then we got cheese fries with bacon. Anybody hungry? So I'm eating the cheese fries. And it comes on like a paper plate. So it's not fancy, which I, I'm fine with. And so I'm eating the cheese fries. And I'm eating them. And then before I realized it, I found myself actually putting the, the, the jar up to my face. And, and all of a sudden, I, I hear this, babe. We are in public. And I was like, awakened. Like, I didn't realize what was going on. And I'm licking the plate, and she's like, I think you got all of it. I don't actually know if there's the corners of the plate left because you actually ate it. And I said, babe, I don't want to waste anything. She's like, obviously. <laughs> we have a really fun time together. Listen, I thought this was it. This was my moment. If I don't get all the cheese, I'll never come back and eat here again. I wanted nothing to be wasted. Listen, this is our life verse. I hope you remember the Shake Shack story because when life gets tough, Romans 8 needs to come into effect. That all the things that aren't good can be worked together for our good with God's grace and God's love and God's help. He is for you and not against you. And he wants nothing to be wasted even. In the book of Matthew... It actually says she actually let down her hair. I don't have any to give you an example. But she let down her hair and wiped his feet with the oil. Now you have to understand. It's like, well, that sounds interesting. A little party, party, you know, trick. Like, what's the, yeah, listen, that wasn't acceptable back then. None of the behavior which was told in this narrative in Mark 14 was acceptable. A woman never let down her hair unless she was in the privacy of her home with her husband in an intimate moment. This woman would have never been allowed to be in that social gathering unless she was functioning as a servant. Now, here's the interesting thing. It was in the town of Bethany, which had been a place of ministry for Jesus. Jesus had actually raised someone from the dead, Mary's brother Lazarus. And so I guarantee there was a line to get in the house. They were thinking, this Jesus, the carnival tricks guy who raises people from the dead, is going to have dinner. I'm going. And somehow Mary made her way in with this perfume and did this incredible, extravagant act. Jesus would have been lounging. Now, I know you think you go to dinner, you sit up, and that's normal. But, but back then, Jesus would have been laying down, lounging like he was at a pool. And this woman walks up and displays this extravagant gift of worship and honor. Talk about an awkward moment. Yet Jesus calls it beautiful. Jesus calls it beautiful. Mark 14, 3 says this. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now here's the interesting thing. That perfume probably cost, they say, a year's wages in a laborer. So about today's rate, thirty-five dollars to $50,000. So it wasn't cheap. So the disciples who said, hey, why is she wasting this perfume, were probably right. It was very expensive and very extravagant. Yet Jesus embraced the awkward moment because there was incredible ministry happening. Life change was taking place. And people needed to see and be a part of it. So what do we learn from Mary in this moment? We see that Jesus used moments of misunderstanding to do incredible ministry. Jesus embraced the awkward moment. But what did, what did we learn from Mary at the house party? Well, we learned that following Jesus is about your next step, not your present state. Mark 14, 6 says this, Leave her alone, said Jesus. 
Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. See, it's not about your present state. It's about your next step. If you've ever been misunderstood, if you've ever been ridiculed, judged incorrectly, felt harshly rebuked, oftentimes it's that moment that causes you to freeze up. Yet Mary allowed this moment to not just have her stay still, but actually take her next step towards Jesus. See, you can't allow the words of others, and in this case it was the disciples, the ones who should have known better, the ones who should have known that Jesus was about to end his life on earth, yet they were the ones who were ridiculing and rejecting and judging this woman's expression of honor and love. They should have been understanding this moment, but they totally missed it. But Mary didn't allow their words to stop her movement towards Jesus. See, oftentimes in life we focus on how far we have to go versus just what's the next step right in front of us. And if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know what my next right step might be, at the end of this service, we're going to have an opportunity where you can take a next right step. You can be like Mary and have a moment where you push aside what's been said of you. You can push aside the misunderstandings, the ridicule, the judgment, and focus on what's my next step right in front of me. Also, I love this, that following Jesus involves surrender and sacrifice. Following Jesus involves surrender and sacrifice. Mark 14, verse 8 says this, she did what she could. She poured for perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now that phrase, she did what she could, is better translated in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, is better transliterated, she gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. See, the perfume, because it was so costly, most likely was a, a generational inheritance. And it was her entire livelihood which she broke and then poured out on Jesus. So it wasn't just a momentary, oh, this is going to make it through the year. No, this was going to be passed down and their livelihood of their family would be hinged on this perfume. Yet we see this incredible sacrifice and surrender. I always say it this way, that sacrifice and surrender are different sides of the same coin. That when you're following Jesus, it, it requires both. That you surrender to his leading, his control, but you sacrifice. One of my favorite scriptures, Matthew 16, 24. If you don't have a life verse, you can grab this one too. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So what's that saying to us? It's saying this, that, hey, you have to give up control. You have to give up your plan, your path, your way to God. And in doing so, he will take your life and do incredible ministry in it and through it. My final thought for us as we wrap up this message is simply this, that life is about what we contribute, not the credit we receive. Life is about what we contribute, not the credit we receive. Mark 14, verse 9 says this, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now I know that Mary didn't approach this dinner party with the thought, Hey, people will gather years from now 
thousands of years from now and talk about how awesome I was. She didn't think that. She wasn't trying to do that. She simply wanted to make it through the crowd to get to Jesus to express her complete devotion, her surrender, her sacrifice, her love, the honor, the worship. She didn't think to herself, oh yeah, people are going to talk about me. That is going to be something special. She never thought that. She didn't think about the credit that we would be talking about her story in 2017, talking about what Jesus and her did with misunderstandings and how we can apply that to her life. She never thought that. She simply wanted to contribute something. She wanted to give all that she had. And here at Timberlake Church, can I encourage us? We are not simply spiritual consumers. We are what I call spiritual contributors. And for many of us, this is your first time, and I'm so glad you're here. For some of us, we've been attending for a while. For some of us, we've been attending for a long time. And can I talk to all of us, regardless of whether it's your first time or you've been attending a while? God wants you to be in the game. God wants you to be on the team. See, there are people waiting for you to contribute to this community we call Timberlake Church. I know oftentimes we say, get in a group. It'll be good for you. Can I flip it for us today? Get in a group because there might be someone waiting for you to do some incredible ministry in their life through your life. Become a member. This is your home church. Find out why we do church the way we do. Become a spiritual contributor, not just a consumer. Now, hear my words. I'm not calling some of you who aren't serving, who aren't giving, who aren't in a group, merely consumers. Some of you are just checking it out, and you should, and it's awesome. Your life will be changed. But for many of us, our next right step is becoming a spiritual contributor to this community we call Timberlake. See, I think there's two questions that if we can answer today, it will change our life and the trajectory of our church we call Timberlake. And the first question is this, is Jesus Lord, leader, and savior of your life? I like to say it this way at the Issaquah campus. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said yes to Jesus? This last Easter, recent Easter, we had over 100 people say yes to Jesus. And hundreds more take their next right steps. And I just feel like it was the appropriate moment, even as we continue to celebrate Jesus, that I would give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his leading, his guiding, you following. And the second question is this, what is my spiritual contribution that God is leading me to do in this church? And I believe if we can answer those questions, the incredible ministry, even when being misunderstood, that will come from it, will be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.